Welcome to Stakeholder, the podcast. Why are we here today? Why are we all gathered? So this is the thing, right? Um, a few, God, is it, is it like a month ago now um, when you sent the first, the draft, right? Of this amazing, yeah. is it a newsletter or is it, what do we call it? What are we calling it? It's, it's a newsletter, uh, I'd say. Yes. Okay. So the newsletter and you said, look, actually moving past that, I'm thinking we should do a podcast. And I thought it was brilliant because I love the tone of the newsletter, the fact that you jumped from one subject to another, but it was bite-sized, right? And sometimes mm-hmm. you need to go into a bit more meat. And so for me, for every newsletter that comes out subsequently, I think we need to, it needs to have meat. So I think this is one of the, the, the first meat conversations um, that we're having. And I'm actually, I feel privileged. Depending on how you cut this off, um, I hope it makes for good for a good start to what I hope will become like a series that everyone is trying to get on. I'm here to have good conversation um, on interesting topics. I couldn't agree more with uh, with Lolade. Honestly, I think that um, you know, in addition to the newsletter, which I agree was actually very, you know, it was very thought, it was a very thoughtful approach, and I consume a lot of content from from different places, and you know, people always trying to summarize what's going on. But I think the way that you've been able to do it um, uh, lends itself well to you wanting to know more. So maybe you get a little bit of an appetizer, and then as Laura did put it, we get to the meat uh, uh, by by having this to support it. So I just think that having the space to fully talk about ideas and flesh out thoughts around you know um, the topics of the day and things that are going on, I think it's just um, it's great. And we need more Nigerian voices, more African voices, more people putting out stuff and. Um, coming at some of these very weighty topics with um, our lens and the way we we come at life based on our, our background. I think we make up an interesting subgroup of the mm. Nigerian professionals through corporate world. So, mm. I mean, Igor Sima right now is in London, right? I'm in Abuja. Yep. Hamid is in Lagos. Um, I love the fact that we... I feel comfortable in this space already. And mm. I think that, you know... Um, and it doesn't have to be the professionals. It can be Hamid, whoever is within this wide network that you have. But I think just being comfortable, being in a comfortable space and the art of good conversation. So I feel like this podcast also kind of provides that. So it's not like a serious series. I mean, you might have some serious guests in the near future, um, but it's it's a relaxed atmosphere where you can have good conversation. Um and you're with people that are, are are fairly familiar. I think I think that's what makes it special as well. You can subscribe to the stakeholder newsletter by clicking the link in the bio. Hi, okay, so I am Igosime Oyofo. I am a uh, well, an emerging markets uh, investment banker, financial advisor. Um, uh, you know, s- somewhat of a strategic mind. Uh, around sort of business opportunities and uh, raising capital um, and, you know, just uh, looking for how to, uh, you know, help uh, entrepreneurs and SMEs and large corporates like uh, achieve value. Um, So excited to be here. Um, I am joined by the 
fantastic and effervescent uh, Lolade. Hi, everyone. Uh, my name is Lolade Awgwade. I am a sustainability professional. Um, I work within development finance at the moment, um, but I'm passionate about social impact. Um, and I'm excited to be here today because there are a few topics I want to jump right into. Um, but before we do that, Hamid, who's the host, please go ahead. Hi, everybody. My name is Hamid Abubakar. I am the managing director of Our Way Forward. Um, I am a career problem solver um, across both public and private sector. And I am deeply honored to be in the company of great minds and intellect. Lorade and Igosima, welcome to the show. Okay, crypto, crypto, crypto is like the... Um, it, it's kind of like the current buzzword. And it's not just the buzzword, but it's like it's ever-present in everything that's going on. Um, a year ago, crypto was in a completely different stratosphere. Um, you had the likes of Bitcoin and Ethereum... Um, which I like to call the bellwethers of the sort of crypto market, uh, if you think about the term of a bellwether stock. Um, and and these these guys were at you know record highs. I think at that time you were looking at uh, uh, crypto, uh, Bitcoin approaching $66,000 per, and Ethereum was well over 4400 or 4500 now, of course, less than nine months later, the, the, the trends had reversed um, quite dramatically. Um, and a lot of it is worth looking into. Like I said, it's, it's, it's a bell, the bellwethers, i.e. They, they point to the overall health of the or sentiment around the crypto space. But they're not the only uh, uh, coins, obviously. You know, there's the likes of Dogecoin, which um, I don't know if we're allowed to swear on this podcast, but there is actually a term. Uh, in in crypto world called um forgive me shitcoin <laughs> you can say it. I think I give you okay. permission to say it <laughs> the, thank you you know the the internet gods and the podcast cast gods are, are smiling favorably on us then uh, <laughs> and I think that um you know well, what a shitcoin really is just saying is that it's just something that is either linked to some kind of product and it's the way you pay for the services on uh, or the products on, on that particular service or or something of the sort, and the you know, in general, there's a technology behind. Okay, you take um, and I'm jumping around a lot. Of, forgive me, but you look at a uh, 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 Cardano, with, who's a ticker name or whatever is ADA. There's an idea that it's a fundamentally more sound uh, cryptocurrency, which is kind of akin to Ethereum versus uh, a Dogecoin or um. Uh, some of the other ones are flying out of my head right now, maybe like a Celsius, et cetera, right? Now, going into Celsius, you had this issue and kind of why things started breaking down over the last year um, was essentially this thing around being able to back up your crypto and then the going into sort of like crypto lending. Um, there's an, a concept called staking where you can um, place your quote unquote inactive or your, your crypto is kind of like with your deposits in the bank, right? You, you stake it and you earn interest on it. Right. But the problem is, you know, if you're staking, what are you using to pay the interest? What investments are you making? Where's that yield coming from? Um, and how are you exactly compensating uh, uh, the, the, the stakeys or the people staking the, the, the current, the, the, their cryptos. And then also, um, uh, you know, when you now kind of start looking at what's going on with FTX 
And mm. this is still evolving. And, you know, yeah. this, this this dovetails into ESG. And I know Lalade is, is you know, the one that's going to cover that because she is the guru here. But, you know, you're looking at a scenario where it's starting to come out that some of the assets that FTX, which is an exchange, said they had, they don't have. Um, and at the end of the day, when you're either lending or you are uh, doing some sort of financial transactions, you, used to, you need to have assets that either you can liquidate so you can meet other obligations or that essentially back up, um, uh, you know, whatever it is uh, you're trying to do, um, just like you would with a normal bank. Um, so, I mean, look, there's more we can dive into with, with that in particular. Um, but maybe at this point, and you know, maybe a lot of if you want to go into, you know, how, what, what, the whole ESG setup is, and maybe we can look at why there was such a breakdown in this space. So interesting. Um, I think, like Hamid mentioned um, a little bit earlier, um, there is this conversation, or your conversation definitely dovetails into the ESG, the conversations around ESG now. Um, I think because it is a concept that um, more or less is being rammed down the throats of the many players on a global scale. But like crypto, I think it's kind of, it's still vague. So Igosime, as you're talking, I'm like, well, what is he? What, huh? what is that? Um, and I was never an adopter. I still am not of the whole, the, the whole fad around crypto. You don't coins own, any, it, you don't own just, any coins. I don't own any coins. I'm putting that out there today. Um, <laughs> there might be blowback, <laughs> but Igosima, I just don't. Do you own any no, coins? No, I, I, I do. I do. I have um, <laughs> said shit coins um, <laughs> because I, but having said that, I've put, you know, probably one expensive lunch at Alara's worth of crypto investment. And I think that I can go to sleep knowing that I've lost all of that and that's all that it's going to be. So I'm very much with Lolade in that um, uh, there, there's still a lot that I feel like needs to be uncovered. And there's a great case for decentralized finance uh, in general. And, and, and I think that some of these, these crypto coins will end up being um, useful, but I still think that there's a long way to go. So, Lolade, as a self-confessed, um, did I say it? Non-adopter. Non-adopter. <laughs> but you know, the thing about it, and I think, you know, um, akin to uh, what, you, you know, the, me not adopting because I generally don't have, I, I don't get it yet. I, I it's, It seems it's a, there's a lot. And so I think maybe it might be a trust thing. You can say the same thing around ESG. And why a lot of organizations um, still don't quite get it. Um, and working in the field, one of the things that I have to do first um, in any organization um, that I'm either talking with, to, at, or working in is making a case for why it is necessary. And a bit controversial, but it is what it is. Even when you are within the roles um, of an ESG person in organizations today, that you almost feel like you have to prove why you're there. The more senior you get, the harder it is because um, a lot of people, and I'm not going to use organizations, I'm going to use like living beings, just still don't get it. It's a good thing to do, but what does that say to our bottom line? Um, and I think it's a function of the way the world works. 
especially when you are in the corporate world, the bottom line is is everything and more. So apart from it's a nice to have, and there's a whole conversation around CSR um, and sustainability and what those mean. Um, you know, but I think also if we look down in, in global recent history, we will see the examples of a need to have good corporate governance, um, organizations that are not just profit-led or profit-focused, you know, um, the examples are there. We can, we can talk about, you know, when, I don't know if we're naming names on this. It might not be safe to, because I don't know where this <laughs> is going to go. Um, but you, you guys, you, we, we know these things, right? So we know yeah. the examples. I was going to pick on something that you said um, in earlier in your introduction just now. Um, you said um, being forced down people's throats. Um, and I want to pick on that because um, in the newsletter um, that we're referencing, ESG, ESG everywhere, we pick on this particular point, right? Um, Paul H. Tice. Um, an NYU Stern professor accusing the principles for responsible investing of forcing its own agenda down the throats of corporate America. I think he's speaking um, to this, um, you know, growing sense of um, is 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 there too much emphasis given the state of development, politics or geopolitics of the world? Is there too much emphasis on ESG? Look, I think because we're being totally honest and transparent um, in this conversation, I think the answer to that question really comes down to it depends, right? So it depends on who's having the conversations. It depends on the levels of maturity of both countries or organizations that are trying to adopt these standards. Yeah. Um, there, there continues to be a debate around this whole uh, who's paying what to whom, um, and how much should be paid. And those are the kind of conversations that happen at the levels of the COP, right, every year. Um, and look, in COP, at COP20, this year was COP27, at COP26, I will always use this example where I think it was Ghana who was almost arm-tied into agreeing to step back on coal, the use of coal for industrial industrialization purposes. Um, and I, I, if I remember correctly, they had gone into the, the negotiating room and the Ghanaian rep or reps had said, yeah, sure, fine, we'll take this back home. We agree. We're going to pull back on the use of coal um, in terms of in the, for our industrialization as a country, even though we have these major projects that rely on this natural resource. Um, but we're going to step back because we want to be a good team player on a global scale. And there was there was immediate backlash because clearly the people who had accepted the conditions that were set were not um, whether it was senior enough or they had gotten um, enough of an agreement from the other teams back home, whatever. But there was an immediate backlash and debates followed. Now, fast forward, what? Not even up to a year. Russia, Ukraine happened. And you, what you see is the EU, um, whoever the states are, couldn't get access at some point to Russian gas, oil and gas. And what did they do? They went back to the same coal. 
Um, and yes, that was on a global scale, but listen, there are national level conversations and organizational level conversations that are in the exact same position. So my answer to your question, Hamid, is it really just depends. It depends on your level of maturity. It depends on how much um, funding you have. Um, it depends on what your immediate goals are. Um, I will continue to say this, sustainability for Black developing countries um, is not the same for the developed nations. It means totally different things. I will always continue to champion that SDGs 1 and 2, poverty and hunger, are more pertinent for, for you know, nations like us than they are for the Northern Hemisphere. I just, it, it's what I believe in. So what I'm not saying, I'm not a climate change denier, and I'm not saying that the things that are happening are not, sorry, are not happening. I'm just saying our levels, the priority, levels of priority differ. Um, and I, I'll pause here. I don't know if you guys have, I have quite strong opinions about this, um, but, you know, <laughs> you, you, I, what do you guys Lourdes, think? You, Lourdes, you've, 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 you've risked triggering me with what you've all just said, and I couldn't, I couldn't agree with you more um, because, you know, when you, when you went into what happened with the EU and Russia or Ukraine, obviously, the war is, um, you know, in many people's eyes, unjustified. And, you know, Putin is the aggressor. And what he's doing to the Ukrainians, especially the innocents, is not good. We can all get on side where that's concerned. Where I have a problem is with, just like you said, a year ago, the Germans, maybe the French, uh, you know, other, other countries in Europe were, were wagging their fingers at Africans and saying, you've got to you know, achieve net zero, you've got to do this, you've got to do that. So much so that like the way the Ghana story was sold was almost as if, oh, Ghana is this amazing shining light. They agreed to do all these market-leading, amazing uh, transformations right. um, in terms of, uh, you know, uh, you know, resilience. And when, when you start thinking of their uh, nationally determined contribution, so climate mm. resilience, climate adaptation, mm. you know, mm. oh, look at all these fantastic things. I mean, I had to do the research on some, some reports I was writing at one point. And then now you, you, you look at what's happening and we're not saying that Europe shouldn't be, um, uh, shouldn't, shouldn't be heated this, this winter and the winter after, right? But we, what we are saying is that Certain elements of sort of West, the Western hegemony need mm. to come down off a bit of a moral high horse and say, listen, guys, when it comes to Africa, which is anywhere between three and four percent of global emissions, depending on who you ask. And if you strip out Egypt and South Africa, the number apparently drops to about one percent or slightly less. Right. Mm. right. Mm. The way I look at it is if you're using gas. You are. 100% use of gas is better than what we have now because we're using all sorts of dirty fuels. Now, I believe in climate change just like everyone else. I believe in renewables just like yeah. everyone else. Yeah. But I believe the path to getting there is significantly longer and a lot more nuanced than we are willing to contend with. And I think that I'm not sure whether we want to leave COPs. I've never been to a COP and I, I would really love to go one day. But I don't know whether we keep leaving cops thinking that what we need to do is announce as much amazing stuff as possible in terms of new projects and new rules mm. and regulations mm. and everything that makes everyone think that we are moving the needle on getting to, you know, or not getting to, to 1.5 degrees Celsius, right? 
Um, But the truth is, and this is something I wanted to go back and ask you about. Are we at risk of going more down the line of greenwashing in the sense where we'd rather virtue signal than be realistic and say, listen, guys, this whole war has got everybody's behinds flapping in the wind. Um, Yeah. We, we, you know, France has a lot of nuclear. That's why they're, they're probably not going to be as affected. But mm-hmm. Germany, is, 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 Germany is super exposed to Russia. I think, what, 40 to 50% yeah. of their gas came from Russia. So everyone yeah. is in different places. Poland has high uh, gas stores, but Hungary has low. All sorts of things. So I guess, you know, are we at risk of a little bit of greenwashing, a little bit of moral, uh, you know, virtue signaling, when yeah. it comes to this thing, and mm. how do we as Africans now take that power back in terms of the negotiating table and say, listen, guys, mm. you know, and Nigeria, for instance, we've got 10 times the, uh, I think, or even more, uh, the equivalent in gas than we do in, 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 in oil. And gas is ultimately <laughs> cleaner. So we have to find a way to monetize that. I mean, flaring is one thing, but <laughs> man, <laughs> okay. <laughs> Did I trigger you right back? On so many different levels. On so many different levels. <laughs> what else <laughs> you triggered, Lola did? Um, so, so, so his first thing, greenwashing, is it? It's alive and kicking, and and it's happening all over the world. Like everyone, you know, these cop things, right? It's like a, a bit of a, a fashion show. Or oh, I don't know. I don't know the the best phrase for it. But everyone wants to come out, you know. Um, to claps and chairs and 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 all the rest of it. Um, what actually gets done? And we see this now, not much year on year. This year, 2022, though, holds a bit of promise because um, we see that they've established that fund, right? So that was the big takeaway for the COP from this year. This what fund that this all fund? the. So there's a I forget the actual name of the the it's. I, of the fund, the but all the big players. No, no, no. It's it's essentially like a piggy bank, right? So before, so you had a hundred billion. The commitment was a hundred billion from all the rich nations um, uh, every year. They found out that for for example, twenty twenty one, only eighty something billion um, made it. Only eighty something billion made it, so they didn't meet the targets. So what they said to people who haven't been meeting. We, we have now established more or less a fancy bank account. Everybody must pay their dues into this bank account. Um, so that's what happened. That's the big takeaway from this year's COP. Um, and hopefully it will force the, the majors to, to sort of pay up. Now, that might bring about the change. Um, that might lessen the conversations and we might see a bit more impact-led activities based on the money that exists in this piggy bank. Right. Um, so that's so in terms of greenwashing, hopefully that 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 clears the way a bit. Igo Sime, your second point, I forget now, but it triggered me. So please, if you hey gosh, I can't uh, what was it you said? There's something you said that triggered me. <laughs> so <sighs> I mean we it was about the Russia-Ukraine war and how yeah. Gas has now um, be- come back to the top of the uh, discussion, yeah. at least where Western countries are concerned. But there's still yeah. a little bit of an issue where they're That's still, 
you know, Africa, shaking the finger at Africa. Yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's another thing. And I, I'm post COP this year. I, I, I wrote a tiny little summary piece, um, and I put up, I put up on my LinkedIn page. And one of the points that I made in terms of like the, the, the high level bullet points was Africa um, and Nigeria. Actually, we need to get our acts together. We are given the opportunity to come to global roundtables, um, and we have a voice. We have a very strong voice, um, Nigeria especially. Um, but, you know, I had some side conversations um, in Egypt this year with some of the, the guys who were negotiators on behalf of the country. In particular, I was speaking to guys representing the youth. So you have negotiators um, along different like streams. These guys were like the youth guys and they were lamenting. I, it was a conversation I stumbled upon. They didn't invite me. I was there doing something else. But they were really, you know, um, they were heated up and they were just like, they don't get it. They are supposed to be the youth negotiators on behalf, you know, um, on behalf of Nigeria. But what happens is whoever is in charge of, you know, the or, or choosing the Nigerian delegation, you have older people who are not, you know, in touch with what's happening, especially with their segment, which is the youth. But these guys are the ones going to the tables and then, you know, agreeing or not agreeing to whatever decisions. And essentially what happens is every year. And oh, there's a communique. So they just go into these um, conversations. They come out with a communique. They give it to these actual youth negotiator representatives. And they're like, yeah, this is it. This is what we're working on. Or this is what we've agreed to. And those guys were like, but when did this meeting happen? Why were we not informed? Why were we not at the table? This is our, supposed to be our role. And I think that's, um, for me, it's reflective of who, as developing nations, we actually have at the table. I think as citizens of any country, you should be aware um, of who these people are, what the, there should be an, a very, very clear communique that's available to everyone. If I ask either of you now, did you see any communique from, you know, Nigeria especially, I would be surprised if you say yes and you knew what we were talking about as a country um, at that level. It shouldn't be, information like this should not be available only to um, specific people. And I'm going to digress a bit as well. Um, the Prime Minister of Barbados, over the past two years, in fact, last year, she she emerged on the global stage as a superstar, and she has continued a lot of that into this year. Mia Motley is someone who everybody knows. We all know her agenda. I'm not even a citizen of any Caribbean nation, but I'm very familiar with what Mia Motley is pushing for for her Caribbean nation, for the other Caribbean nations. That is the level of engagement and visibility that as Nigeria and indeed Africa, we need to bring to those global conversations. And we just don't have enough of them. Um, you know, so for me, it's a whole mindset shift. Um, we have to we have right. to really think and we need we need to start to put um, so, some feet um, to the fire, in my opinion. Um, so I think those are my thoughts. Uh, we, wanna... we, we need to do that. I want to, you, you mentioned uh, youth participation. He's no youth, um, but he's deeply popular, or at least um, was popular with the youth segment in Nigeria. Vice President Yemi Osimbajo. Um, to quote him, despite the tremendous energy gaps, global policies are increasingly constraining Africa's energy technology choices. Now, this is him being quoted in an open letter. Uh, ahead of COPE. Um, and perhaps it is one of the only grand communiques from 
you know, apex leadership in Nigeria about its own negotiating strategy ahead of COP. And specifically, I believe the the theme of that letter was around debt for climate swaps. Mm. Um, so whilst there's a lot of greenwashing, perhaps, taking place, uh, definitely in the corporate and uh, private equity um, like space, uh, potentially, um, this is a very real conversation with significant economic and social consequences. Um, the energy transition conversation can no longer remain in the presidency, in the Ministry yeah. of Environment. This yeah. brings it down to street-level conversation because yeah. given Nigeria's rising debt profile um, and the obvious challenge of repayments, um, perhaps there's going to be a conversation around debt forgiveness. Uh, we don't mention the R word lightly on the show. Um, <laughs> but um, I'd like to talk about that because I think that is perhaps the type of leadership that um, was expected of Nigeria um, ahead of COPE, even though it sounds like we're standing tall with our cap in hand. I like that expression, and I, I saw it was in the newsletter, right? Um, I think that is what we're doing. But it, it, even more so, I think that we're standing tall with our cap in hand, but somehow we're facing the wrong direction. And I think that we have this thing with priorities in Nigeria where even when the house is on fire, some of us are still asking if we need to go and get a bucket so we can put mm. a bucket of water for the, you know. So I, I like uh, the vice president. I always have, I always think that like, and just kind of going back to what you were saying about, you know, the, the, the Prime Minister of Barbados, sorry, is it Prime Minister PM? Um, you know, Lolade, what what you said about her? One thing I will I will give um, President uh, Vice President Shibajo, excuse me, is that he is very careful to to communicate clearly, whether it's via open letter, whether it's via speech, um, and in a country where sometimes we deride politicians for speaking well and clearly. Um, mm. He always takes the time to make sure that he's unequivocal in what he's saying and there's no room for misinterpretation. But he also puts in seeds of hope and like a way forward um, mm. when when he speaks in such a way that like you said, OK, you know what? That's great. And sometimes that is really all a leader has to do because they don't need to be any technical, you know, um, a genius or or you know you know specified in one field versus another they're they're just able to gather people together face a problem and be like okay you know what you're the one who knows this stuff lolade you you you're in charge let's sit down in a few weeks give me some initial thoughts tell me who the right people are to send to this thing and i'll give them my full backing and support and that's probably what 90 percent of the world leaders do you know um but for some reason we just don't seem to be there. And the fact that you have this um, issue where there's a disconnect between the youth and the ones who have the greater stake, because the stake is just measured by your age, right? Uh, uh, my children have a greater stake in the future of the planet than I do, simply because they're expected to be here longer. And so that is the natural order of things. And instead, we subvert that and 
have those with the greatest voice and the greatest uh, uh, stake being those who have the, le- the least time simply because of their seniority. And one of the things we don't quite seem to understand in our beloved country is that seniority need not mean that you have to be the one that's the most active, just like with okay. the presidential example. Yeah. The president's good at delegating. So if you're the minister of environment or you're the minister of communications or whatever the, the, the case may be, you have smart, well-educated, well-informed, clued in young people that can go and speak on behalf of the country and they have the power to, but they also have the context to understand the okay. international conversation, the nuance, you know, and this, this isn't something that's antithetical to Nigeria and Nigeria's interests. But sometimes when we have these conversations, it almost makes it sound like doing the obvious smart thing is somehow working against the interests of the country. And it's, it's very tiresome because we can still be this, um, you know, massive country with a massive population and all the different things we're doing, but we can still show up on the world stage, you know? Now, some could say, well, look at all the English that Ghana has been speaking over the last five years. Where has it gotten them? Well, like with most countries, COVID did a number on everyone. And mm-hmm. um, the truth of it is that, you know, anyone who's a bit more familiar with um, sort of politics and stuff in Ghana knows that sometimes, you know, getting stuff through parliament can be um, uh, uh, tricky. And really what the Ghana's issues have come from the, the fact that, you know, COVID slowdown in revenues, but then mm-hmm. also, you know, legislation around, uh, you know, greater revenue collection and so on, you know, migrating to sort of more automated revenue collection. That's one of the key pieces that kind of got stuck in the sort of legislative discussion and that didn't happen on time. And then of course, international creditors, they look at that and the ratings agencies come and say, mm. you didn't do this and you do that. And then it just becomes a spiral from there. Now, every, you know, some people are calling for, you know, uh, uh, the finance minister's head. Some people are, you know, loving ac- accusations at, at the president, but the truth is this is just sort of par for the course when you have a developing nation that doesn't quite yet have that strength and sustainability okay. that allows them to weather these economic uh, dislocations, as it mm. were. Nigeria probably is just a little bit better off just simply because of our sheer size um, and, and, and multifaceted uh, sort of like revenue base and, and so on and so forth. But I'm under, and Hamid, you, you pointed out this idea of uh, our, our increasing debt profile which includes our debt service to revenue. And, you know, so I'm under no illusions that we're going to sit here and still be okay in two years time. So this next election and what we're going to in next year is a very critical time and not using the R word. We are in a place now, (laughs) we are in a place now where some of these discussions around debt forgiveness may need to credibly happen. Um, We don't want to enter an IMF process because everybody seems to be against that. But at the same time, you do have to have a, conversation with your creditors and say okay guys here's the deal um so we'll see but uh yeah it's um it's a very interesting mixed bag in the grand scheme of things right um so the possibility um conversations around debt forgiveness potentially being very likely in the next 24 months, at least for you know, a country like Nigeria. Um, these 
depth for climate swaps. Now, they're designed, it sounds like, um, to essentially swap debt repayments mm -hmm. or investments into carbon or emission mitigating technologies. Question, um, Hamid. And I think it, it, uh, a bit of clarity for, for whoever is listening in and who is not quite familiar with how it's supposed to work. Who is making the investment? This is a great question. So the investment is a redirection of the debt servicing, right. um, essentially. Good. The investment is essentially going to be made by those, uh, those countries that owe mm -hmm. multilaterals, Western governments, most likely perhaps China wants a, a piece of the pie as well. Um, so it is a, it is a redirection of, um, of a debt repayment as an investment. However, I don't try. <laughs> I think that's a great question. Let's talk about that, given this is a conversation around ESG and the G is governance, there we go. right? Yeah. Let's talk about that. So who sets who sets up the chess pieces in this conversation? Um, who's making the investment? Who's calling the shots? And is this really to the benefit of developing nations like Nigeria? Vice President Osimbajo seems to think so. So this is the thing, right? And I think um, I, I have a, a number of fears about how it's going to work. It's a tricky period to push this kind of thing through, in my opinion, because we have um, an upcoming election, you know, and we know in the true spirit of uh, African people, um, there's no guarantee that that's what's that project started by a previous administration will will be continued or will, will be taken on. So you could all go back to zero. And, and for me, that's like the biggest fear. Um, and then, of course, the questions around monitoring, you know, transparency, being able to track whatever impact is being done, even just being responsible. So they say they're going to do this. They say they're going to redirect whatever debt servicing funds um, are supposed to go out or go back to the, the lenders. But how do we like for me, it's it's it sounds great, but I don't. And and maybe there's stuff out there right now um, that's uh, only privy to uh, senior eyes or VIP eyes. But for me, it's not clear. Negotiating parties. Sorry? Negotiating parties. Yeah. Not even negotiating parties. This is clearly stuff that, that will be housed within the presidency or the vice president's office, uh, as, as it were. But for me, it's not clear. First of all, has it actually been agreed? So is this like stuff that's on the table? We don't know. <laughs> this can be I think this is an idea being promoted right, right. Um, by various key stakeholders. Mm. Um, and it, um, it sounds like in Nigeria at least feels it has, it has a hook that um, you know, multilaterals, um, the West in particular, will... Will they go for the bait? So, Hamid, uh, who, is the committee? Yeah. Sorry, who 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 are the key stakeholders here, apart from it having legs in Nigeria? Pause. Right. What's the name of this institution, Lola? Which one? Uh, <laughs> hang, on. <laughs> <laughs> hang on. Let me just check. Okay. Yeah, I think that this is um, driven a lot by sort of like the UN. Um, uh, you know, international sort of climate advocacy groups um, and obviously a lot of major creditors of 
you know, you're only doing this program if you're, you're, you're maybe from an emerging market or emerging economy and you need to invest more in climate technology, um, but you're sort of hamstrung one way or the other, right? So a Nigeria would be a good candidate. A Ghana, um, you know, pretty much most countries on the African continent, many in Asia, Southeast Asia in particular, and definitely in Latin America. I guess for me, so I like what Lolade said earlier about, um, you know, on the sort of internal domestic side, right? If it's the country itself that you're looking at, What's the monitoring like? How do you make sure that these redirected funds, i.e. if you're not paying out in debt service, you're putting it into climate adaptation, resilience, or mitigation um, uh, technologies, right? Carbon capture, uh, you know, you know, reinvesting in, in a green, efficient housing, whatever the case may be. Then how do you monitor that? My angle on that same question, though, is... When I first heard it, I thought, oh, okay, is there a carbon credits angle? Because the argument a lot of developing countries read the US, you know, most much of Europe, maybe China, the argument they make is, hey, look, you know, you uh, uh, emerging economies, you're under emitting. So we're going to grab some credits off you um, and <laughs> we're going to emit for you. And in exchange, we're going to pay some money. Scam. Now, Can I just say scam? That, that whole carbon credit world, the entire ecosystem is a, is a scam. That is it's one incredible, of the right? biggest, biggest greenwashing it, it, examples I'll throw out there. It's a scam. Yeah. So with that now, I, it just kind of um, makes my natural suspicion come up, right? Because the question then is, okay, if I'm a Western country and I'm relieving you of the burden of paying back my debt. Yes, I am happy to see you invest those same monies into, um, you know, climate uh, uh, friendly uh, solutions. But are we that altruistic? Is there a scenario where they'll just be happy to do that and there's not going to be any other sort of recompense? So for instance, right? Yes, you know, go ahead and invest my 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 uh, my repayments into climate technologies, but uh, let me get some of your uh, oil, your gas, or yeah. maybe even some of your critical uh, technology minerals, right? So, like for instance, you know that the U.S. Uh, and I'm not picking on the U.S., but the U.S. has been very clear about you know about thirty, forty different minerals and resources that it considers critical. And that it needs. So when you start thinking of what's going on in the semiconductor space and the, the global sort of uh, you know, standoff between the U.S. and China, you know, you think about what's going to happen with solar panels uh, and, and the material you need to make them. You need things like lithium and tantalite and um, uh, even I don't know if you need nickel, but like you need there's a lot of technology, minerals and materials that need to still come out of Africa. You know, we know Congo has, you know, a lot of them, but the Nigerias also have, I think Ghana has some, and there's some other ones as well. So the question then becomes, uh, I guess, as they say, qui bono, right? Who benefits, right? So I just, I'm just waiting to see how that is fleshed out, but I, I just have, the cynical part of me has to believe that there's more to it. Well, I think given... Our collective experience um, you know, on various uh, fronts of this conversation, we can all agree that um, 
there are obviously hidden hidden agendas um, on the geopolitical and economic side of things. But then the developmental agenda is also very strong. Laura, do you want to add something to this? Um, yeah, really quickly. I think I think it's a good idea. Um, but like everything else, um, it definitely needs a lot more structure. Um, you know, I, I don't know if Igor Sima rehashed it, um, like he had said earlier, around, you know, Nigeria's green bond process and, you know, how, how tran- not transparent, but how visible it was, if there was an understanding around it, if there was a structure, if there was monitoring. I think the same applies to this uh, debt for climate uh thing this idea it's new and i just think i think it's brilliant if we can get it done because you know on one side on one hand it um it means money is is freed up for local projects um, or nationalized projects it means that you know that strain on us as a country is is lifted somewhat it means it means development and uh you know infrastructure for us as well, it's a it's it's a huge source of um, employment. So if you look down the potential of a value of the value chain, and the things that can happen um, for us as a nation, it's exactly what we should be doing. Um, so I, I think it's brilliant, but I don't think that um, or maybe we just don't know enough about what's being set in place. And actually, um, to be honest, if we have leadership that is you know, honest and really wants to bring about this change and the development that Nigeria sorely needs now, I think it should actually be an agreement, sort of like a handover agreement to say, we've agreed to this. This administration has started this process. Um, The next one is going to continue with it. So final thoughts. I think that's where I am today. Thank you very much for that. Sadly, we have run out of time. Join us in the next edition as we carry on the conversation. Igosima Lolade, thank you.